Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ordinary habits. Extraordinary life is about mastering simple things in everyday life to expand your views, access more of your untapped potential, and evolve ordinary habits into an extraordinary life. Here is your host, Maria Bailey. Welcome to Ordinary Habits, Extraordinary Life, where we dive into life's big questions with simple, real, and intimate stories from masters in their field, where we invite you to be curious, be inspired, and simplify the way. Today we have Emily Chang, a seasoned executive who has worked with some of the world's most renowned companies like Procter & Gamble, Apple, and Starbucks. She's currently the CEO for McCann World Group China and the author of The Spare Room, where she shares deeply personal accounts of incredible life stories when she opened up her spare room to children in need. I believe her love for challenging opportunities far exceeds her corporate success. Emily has that rare gift of having her heart and mind aligned and in the right place, and the extraordinary ability to walk the fine line between the demands of her high-stakes corporate role and the simple humanity she shares with those who need her. Inspiring and sometimes shaking us into action, her invitation is for all of us to find our social legacy, to live a more intentional life, and lead with more authentic purpose. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Maria. I don't think I'm the first guest to say this, but that might have been the nicest introduction I've ever had. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really am honored to have you here, and I'm delighted to hear, um, I mean, I, I can't imagine how much more vulnerable or how much more intimate we can get because your book and your stories are disarming, really, um, and, and shaking, like I said. But um, as I was listening to your voice, I, actually, I, I heard your book. Instead of reading it, I was hearing your voice, and it's so wonderful, again, so intimate. What I What I was imagining, again, balancing your you know, your corporate success, right? All the world impact you've had, and yet also the this intimate impact you've had. I was imagining, okay, well, the pivotal moment, you, you always ask your readers, well, what is that defining moment, right? That offense. I was wondering what prepared you for the def your defining moment when you invited Leah to dinner? What prepared you for that defining moment? Nothing prepared me. I don't think we go into life very prepared, and I don't think when those pivotal moments strike us, we are often prepared. I think mm -hmm. um, I think maybe we it's a it's more about a state of heart than a state mm -hmm. of mind. I think if we're willing to lean into something that speaks to us on an emotional right. level or if we feel kind of spiritually pulled towards someone or something that we have a willingness to kind of walk down that path, I think that's all we need. And we can generally figure out the rest as we go. Right. So, so then if we extrapolate from that, so the willingness to lean into something and and I was listening to another interview that you had. You said, "Well, you know, your your what did you say? Your threshold." Um, oh, I, I, but My anyway, you have a your discomfort exactly. Threshold is really high. So yeah. what? So what allows you? If you have, if we can break it down into a habit, if we can break it down into what allows you to lean into this discomfort or you know, into whatever is calling you? 
I think there are two questions there. The first thing, what allows me to lean in? I'd say um, I lucked into a great first experience with Leah and it made it a lot easier moving forward to say yes to the unknown because the first one turned out well. Then the second one turned out well and on and on. We just had so many great experiences that it became very easy to say yes. And I also, as things mm -hmm. unfolded, discovered that you don't find yourself with not enough time, not enough resource. In fact, you know, I learned this growth mindset well before it was a phrase because I found that the more you give, the more life gives back and it becomes an abundance. I think that that's the first answer. I think the second one you asked was more about habits. What habit I think is a different answer, which is I do think we need to stretch the limits of who we are. So it's sort right. of imagine if you're inside a balloon the balloon, when it's in its sort of um, flaccid state, looks really small. But when you push the edges, it can stretch really far. Do you know how far your own limits are? So every year, not just I, but my husband and my daughter, we pick something that stretches our limits. So for instance, mm -hmm. one year, it was for me to swim an hour straight because I'm terrible at long distance swimming. I hate the feeling of not being able to breathe. One year it was running a half marathon, you know, just physically the things I don't think I can do. Um, one year it was writing right. a book. One year it was learning how to pull a perfect shot of espresso. And I think that intentional training yes. of muscles that we don't normally train is a habit that can help us become more familiar with that feeling of unfamiliarity, more comfortable with the, with the potential of failure and it helps us get into a rhythm of trying something new. I, I can't remember the quote, but somebody said something like, you can either have a philosophy that grounds your habit, or you can just start practicing a habit, which eventually becomes your philosophy. Beautiful, beautiful. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm already, you, you speak with such clarity and, and, um, I don't know, like direction that I, um, again, I, I just, I think it's disarming because what, what can we say to that? It's like, yes. Right. So, so then maybe my next question would be what happens? I, I can hear your yes. I can hear my yes. And yet life happens, right. Where it, it, in some ways, like when we read those self-help books and we go, well, of course, it makes so much sense. Of course, if I started something new tomorrow, it would help me and my life would be abundant. So have you ever found yourself in that place of resistance or that place? Maybe I'm going to call it confusion, where even though it seems so black and white in the paper, somehow we the, the knowing and yet the doing seems unclear or confusing. How could you, what would you say to that place? I don't think there's ever been a lack of clarity because I think I'm clear in my social legacy and, and I feel really incredibly blessed that my family agrees and we share the same vision. Right. So I, I think the unsexy language ultimately is hopefully the most straightforward because that's what I'm hoping to contribute to people who read the book. Right, right. So then... So again, if we go back to, so well, no, you just said you haven't experienced the confusion. Do you ever experience confusion? Are you always this clear? Well, I guess when it comes to where I feel life is calling, I can't really say I have felt confusion. I would say there are times I resisted though, which is a different thing. There are a couple of moments I even wrote in the book about Teo, who's the, the little boy we had for the longest period of time. Because he was dying and he was in extreme pain and our daughter was so young, we didn't think she was ready to see it. And we sort of used our head to make that decision, not our heart. But it turns out she's the one who convinced us because she overheard us speaking about it, came around the corner and just really challenged us. And she said, what are you talking about? Who's that baby? Why wouldn't we go help him? He's in an orphanage. Mom, you said orphanages don't have heat in the winter. So he's dying and cold, basically in her four-year-old voice. What's wrong with you? And that was very clarifying. <laughs> there are other times there were some kids who were probably on the extreme end of um, 
rebellious because I think a lot of that spirit is what's kept them alive through some very trying circumstances. So we certainly don't judge or blame them for who they are, but it also did make me think twice about bringing them into our home, especially with a, my young daughter in the house. And ultimately I'd say, well, you know, was it confusion or a resistance? It became an easy decision because it was just about the potential positive outcomes versus the potential negative. And the potential positive always tend to weigh out the negative. The negative is maybe she might become a bad influence. Maybe the house won't be as clean or as tidy as I'm used to. You know, maybe she'll steal from us. Um, worst case, for whatever reason, friends often ask, what if they murder you in your sleep? And you're like, really? I mean, maybe, 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 mm -hmm. but the chances are small. But maybe here are the multitude of positive things that can happen as a result. And the, the positives outweigh the negatives. So maybe in some ways, it's just an easy math formula. Right. So when, again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back to the habit, right? And, and that relatable, because it, um, I think when we, when we hear stories like, like yours or, or the choices that you've made, again, there is a tendency to say, well, I, you know, I'm not like you, I could never be like you, I could never make that choice. So I'm trying to make that bridge of where, where is it where um, we, we, I don't want to say we are the same, but we are. You yeah. Know, the, the, Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I didn't mean to cut you off because I agree completely that everybody is extraordinary. I was so excited when my publisher suggested I add other stories. At first I was overwhelmed thinking, oh my God, that's going to be another 15 stories. That's like interviewing 40 more people and telling other people's stories is very different than telling your own. But what I started realizing is what a privilege to get to know so many amazing people. And then it really changed my mindset to, oh my God, everyone is an amazing person. Some have lived into the skin of their amazingness and others are in the process of discovering it. But truly when you read the book, you'll read stories of very ordinary people in yeah. In terms of, you know, their job or their station in life, but the extraordinary impact they're able to have on society, on the communities in which they reside or partake. I just think that is something that is so breathtaking. It's not something I walked into this book project knowing or even wanting to express, but coming out of it, I feel so deeply grateful for. And I, I think, you know, it's changed the way I meet strangers or deal with difficult people because it's just embedded in me this idea that everyone truly is or can be extraordinary. So what are some of the habits? I, I did get practical into that. So the first chapter talks about your offer and how do you define what it is? The second one is your offense and how do you define what it is? And it's a very practical sort of framework. The third chapter talks about that intersection and defining your social legacy. I think these are actually practices that are good for people because can you, you know, I just, I've done a couple of talks lately and I ask a room of executives, hundreds of executives, please raise your hand. If you could turn to the person to your right and articulate in a line what your life purpose is today, you know, inevitably out of a room of a hundred something people, maybe one or two raise their hand in a room of 500, maybe 10. It's just something that I realize people need to be able to articulate. So that's one practice, which is what do you think your life purpose is? What do you think you were made to do? What do you think you can do better than other people? We're not that comfortable making prideful statements. It's not prideful in the sense of hubris. It's confidence in the sense of what I can do, which actually is underpinned by a pretty authentic humility when it comes out. And then chapter four goes into what's your action plan. This is where I think there's practice and habit. Because I think for all the things that are important to us, we can set up an action plan. Some of them are an annual action plan. Like I said, my husband, daughter, and I embark on a new challenge every year. That's mm -hmm. a good practice. There are other things which are just regular habits on a shorter time frame that say, look, this is what I want to do. I need an action plan for it. What that means is I need, con I call it CAR, C-A-R. I need the context which is how hard is this thing going to be? Where am I starting from? Where am I going? And what's around me? A is action. What do I need to do? What am I responsible for? And what's within my control? And R is result. What is my desired outcome? I'll, I'll just give you a very silly personal example right now. 
So I realized in this new job, I've been here just one year, about six months in, I gained a couple of pounds. This is the heaviest I've been in probably eight or nine years. And I'm like, wow. So I started off complaining about it. That didn't seem to change anything. And I realized, you know what, even for this, I need an action plan. I can't just say, gosh, you need to lose weight. I can't just say, I'm just going to work out more. I actually need the same thing. So contextually, here's how my lifestyle has changed. I'm also probably perimenopausal. So that's something else that I need to wrap my mind around. So action, what do I need to do tangibly? What specifically do I need to do? And then the desired result in what time frame? And that sounds so anal, but just sitting there complaining about your weight's really not going to do anything. I think even in the small things, if we start peyang in Chinese, what is it in English? If we start nurturing habits, the habits become practices, the practices become familiar and they become sort of our established behavior, which then becomes fundamentally how we do things and who we are. Where does this clarity come from? Do you have, um, like your, did it come from your parents? Did it come somebody you admire or you, you were just born with it? Where did the clarity come from? I've done, I've juggled a lot of things. So when I was an undergrad, probably, When I met Leah, I was juggling three full-time jobs. Sorry, that's not true. Three part-time jobs. Um, One became full-time. I had a full-time undergrad program that I was in, and it was a double major. So it was just a lot of work. I love it. I love that chaos. Back to when you reference the discomfort index. I like when things feel more stretching than the resources I have available. I like when my um, mm-hmm. vision or ambitions outweigh what I feel like I could practically do. Cause those are the, the moments that put you on the edge. And I find that fun and exciting, although wearying. And yeah, I think, um, being able to stretch into those moments has been what's allowed me to kind of move in that direction. And did you, So what is your earliest memory of that? Like, did you have an encouraging parent that said, yeah, Emily, you can, or was it watching, yeah, a grown-up or somebody that said, yeah, that's possible. That's what I want to do. I I don't think it was watching anyone, if I'm frank. I think it was like moving in that direction because I always took on more than I could probably realistically Mm do. It just forced me to be really brutal. I would say brutal in making decisions and, and setting priorities because when I was growing up, my parents did everything for us. They, they moved um, from Asia to, to the U.S. to give their kids a better future. That said, they were both working. We were latchkey kids. We were on our own. We had to figure things out. So at a very early age, I think I learned grit. I think I learned how to manage my own time. I learned how to take care of everything I needed to do as well as my younger brother. You know, those were days before cell phones. And if you lost your key, nobody could let you in the house. You had to sit outside in the cold. So you just had to figure things out. And I think in a lot of ways, that was great as a kid. As long as you're in a safe environment, you have to learn how to plan ahead, manage your time. And when you find yourself, you know, having made a mistake, you have to deal with the ramifications of that mistake. That's it's probably a little bit more of the freedom we had in the 70s growing up. Right. Than, you know, than anything else. <laughs> Not to say so there weren't a number of, of great role models. I don't mean to imply that, but I do think I think the best way to learn how to prioritize, set sort of ruthless boundaries is by putting yourself in a situation where you have more to do than time allows and then you have to make those choices. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I totally, I totally get it. It's almost like it seems like given the freedom, but also the responsibility, you you forged uh, something in yourself of needing needing to prioritize. Otherwise, it's not going to get done or you're not going to eat or you're not going to if you yeah. lose the key, you're not going to get home. You're not going to go to the bathroom. You, you know, whatever it is, is, it's like necessity also forged the, the responsibility and the skill. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, people who like that environment, you know, I think I've been evaluating my daughter who's 12 years old. She's very different than me, but I was thinking, how can I give her that space to, to be bored? How often we try to jump in and make everything fun and exciting. I think it's good for her to be bored. Let her figure out who she is in those quiet moments. Or she decides that she wants to try something. She has to go figure out how to do it. So recently she said, I want to take dance. And I said, okay, this is really unlike my deeply introverted daughter. So I said, well, go figure out how to do it. And I'll make sure I pay for it. 
So she had to find a friend who would do it with her. She had to find a teacher. She had to figure out a place where they could take classes. And then she came to me with the specific next steps where she needed help. And I'm like, sure, mm-hmm. she, I can help you with that. But I also think, you know, you can probably go talk to the gym yourself and see if you can negotiate a room. She's like, I'll think about it. Two days later, she came back. She's like, I think I probably could. I'm not sure how to say it, especially in Chinese. Will you come with me? So I'm like, good. You know what she's doing is she's kind of testing the boundaries of what she thinks she's comfortable with. And she knows I've got her back. But I also think that's that's our responsibility as parents and as managers is how do I give you some space to try and to fail? How do I give you that comfort knowing I'm not going to judge you or rate you badly, but rather I'll be here to pick you up and hold your hand and come alongside you? I think those are the moments where people can stretch with the most freedom and a sense of of acceptance through the process. Do you have, so we had the defining moment, right, with Leah, where it's like, well, this is this is what I'm meant to do, or at least the beginning of it, right? Mm-hmm. So in your teens, what was your North Star? What what would you say either, well, I have two questions again, I guess. What, 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 is, what was your North Star? What was guiding you? And maybe if there was a defining moment of right, like, like kind of this is what I'm about, or this is what I have to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And yeah, I probably have two different answers for that. Let's start with what I am about. So when I was, um, I was always like a, a hyper type A person. I wanted to do more. I wanted to try new things. I wanted to be the best at everything I did. It sounds exhausting, but it was just what drove me. I'm internally motivated that way. Um, and it's, it's interesting because in some ways my daughter is, and I, I can sense that perfectionism in some ways. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's going to be a tiring life, girl, you know, but in other mm. ways, she's really free with herself in ways that I wasn't. And I, I think it's really interesting to watch that and kind of think, wow, what, what kind of person would I have been if I had given myself a lot more grace and a lot more freedom, but I didn't, I was kind of ruthless with myself. Um, so because it is 1130 at night, sorry, remind me the first question, the, the second question that I was answering yeah, first. What you're about in a defining yeah. moment where maybe you you actually got got yourself like right. Yeah. yeah. So I was, you know, playing multiple sports. I was playing multiple instruments. And then I really wanted to take this music and do something with it to start volunteering. So I collected a group of friends and we went and started playing music for free on the weekends at children's hospitals and things. And I remember playing in the in the hallway where all the kids rooms were open and they could hear us. And, and a doctor walked into a little girl's room. You can tell she probably had just gone through chemotherapy. She didn't have any hair. And you could just hear everything because you're in an open hallway. And he basically said, and in a loud voice, well, I can't keep waiting for your parents because I'm busy. So when they get here, just tell them that the treatment isn't working. And then he stood up and walked out. And I remember the little girl was sitting in bed facing outward and her eyes just went, <gasps> and I think she just, you know, reflectively reflexively um, looked to the door and I was on the other side of the door. We made eye contact. I think that was a defining moment for me. I, that was the moment where I said, I'm going to be a pediatric oncologist. I was in the seventh grade and I was very clear on that all the way through to even getting into med school because of that moment when I saw what that daughter doctor did. And I saw that little girl's response. And I remember thinking I can do better than that. She deserved better than that. And I think there's an interesting learning here, which is it was a defining moment, but sometimes when you find what really calls to your heart, it doesn't have to become your full-time career because that eventually became, I think, our spare room. It became my little way one by one to take care of kids who were vulnerable, who needed help. But when I'd enrolled in medical school, I also realized through a separate circumstance, which was maybe another defining moment, I actually don't have the emotional distance I need to actually take care of children who are very sick or dying, <laughs> which, you know, having spoken to me for half an hour, you could probably have figured out, but it took me a lot longer to draw my own conclusion. <laughs> right, right. Um, Emily, what I'm noticing so far and just in this bit of conversation is that, and, and actually we can hear it in the way you write which again, for the for the our listeners who haven't heard your or read your book, you have such a way of of speaking to details, right? Which leads me to there's there's a quality of observation, like you're paying attention to things because mm-hmm. you're playing music, you're with your friends, there are tons of people, and there's a I'm shocked, not shocked, I am impressed at 
your capacity of paying attention to what's happening, that the doctor said that, that the little girl needed to land her eyes in that moment with somebody and you were there in some ways. There, So I'm making a, a, a hypothesis or a story that in the most basic way, a habit also is your habit of attention. Yeah, I think maybe it's more than observation. It's an interesting thing. I'm just kind of mentally unpacking it as I listen. Right. It's more than observation. It's a sensitivity, maybe. Mm. Sensitivity to what's happening around you. And like, I'm going to say this sounds a little weird, but where your spirit is pulled. I'll tell you a moment where I failed. It's, it was so clear to me, and I still remember this. I was rollerblading because it was the 90s, and that's how I got to campus because there was nowhere to park a bike. I was rollerblading over this bridge that took me from my little apartment into my university campus, and there's a woman sitting on a, on a bench just on that bridge. She looked not totally okay. Like may, maybe she was homeless. Maybe she um, needed some help, but nothing dramatically out of sorts, just a woman sitting there kind of bedraggled. And I remember feeling my spirit pulled to her. Like I looked at her and then looked again. And I remember feeling there was no, no mental thought. There were no specific words, but I just felt I should go talk to her. And then my logic kicked in and I was like, well, that's stupid. I'm going to be late to class. I don't know who she is. I don't know. And I just moved on. And to this day, it's 35 years later. I regret that. I think, I think my spirit was pulled to her for a reason. And yeah. I think it's more, it's more than observation because we see the things around us that are wrong all the time, but it's a sensitivity to, is there something I can do in this circumstance? And it, it's not necessarily logical. I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it is, you know, some, you know, lizard brain in the back of our head that draws connections, or maybe there is something just between humans where there's a moment where you just have to breathe and let the world around you influence you and flex around you. And you're going to be like, ah, it's, I should go over there. Or, oh, this person needs me. Or, oh, I think I need that person. I think it goes in both directions. And there's like a almost a fragile but physical connection between all people. And I think if we can kind of tune into that, life becomes incredibly rich and interesting because if we can get over ourselves, get over the logic right. that makes say this makes no sense, we start reaching out to people who we would normally not talk to or stopping and asking someone, are they okay? Or stopping and asking someone like, I saw you looking at me. Is there something you wanted to say to me? It sounds super weird. If you can find a way to ask that question without sounding aggressive or confrontational, it's so interesting sometimes the things that you're going to hear back. I'm, I'm loving the level of, tr I mean, just how you said it, the sensitivity to to hear or to trust where spirit is pulling you, the, mm -hmm. where spirit, you're, where you're being pulled. So again, the trust is incredible. Like, again, just just hear it. But it, but if I break it down, it's like there is spirit calling you. There is you listening to spirit in that moment, like not being too busy, like or not overriding it with your logic. Yeah. And and trusting it. So the, so the, there are several steps. So, mm -hmm. um, which brings me to. When I was little, my mom says, we, we grew up in the south of Venezuela. And so we had three mango trees in our backyard and, you know, just, just very, you can imagine, wild. And my mom says that we, we would play with the fairies in the backyard. Like we would come back in the afternoon and say, well, what were you doing? It's like, well, we were playing with the fairies. I don't remember exactly like what fairies were like, or, but it reminds me that kind of energy that you're saying of being pulled by spirit or how spirit speaks to you like even to this day I can walk and I can tell you the personalities of trees I can I just can sense um I can almost hear their voices or or get their essence and I would imagine that as a little girl it was something like that right like playing with the little bugs on the dirt and the sand or if I if if I bring you back to where did you learn or where did you hear that that spirit that is you know as a as a as a grown-up then you were listening to spirit but as a child where where did that conversation start i think it probably was with that girl in the cancer ward i think that was mm -hmm. the first moment that i was like so so deeply impacted by a complete stranger i never even spoke right. to her she probably does i don't doesn't remember 
you know, because I think what she was doing was her eyes flitted to the doorway looking for her parents, you know, but it was just mm -hmm. such an impactful moment to me. And there've been so many over the years where there's just a moment where you think, oh, and, and I think if you allow it to shape you um, and influence you, you, it's sort of going back to that first comment, which is I kind of fell into it with Leah and then I found, hey, that ended pretty well. And the next one ended pretty well. And it just start, starts expanding your capacity and your interest to say yes to things. I think in this case, it kind of just um, shapes you in different ways because you start realizing I should listen to that voice. Here's another example. There's a, a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine. Her name's Lynn Casey. I also met her through Hatch. And I haven't spoken to her in many months, but we always stay in touch on social media. Suddenly I thought of her. So it's just these moments, right? Something pops in your head and you might just think, oh, yeah, I thought of her. But I've learned that must mean something. I don't know if it's because of my connection to her or, you know, there's something where I can, I can add value or maybe she has something to tell me. Again, I don't want to explain it because I do think there's something magical about it and I, I don't know how to, but I just texted her and it both, it turned out we were both free. We're 15 hours apart and we had an hour conversation this morning. I mean, what, first of all, what are the chances that both of us are free <laughs> given our right. schedule? And she shared something with me within the first five minutes. I was like, that is exactly what I needed to hear. I didn't even, I don't know why I didn't make that leap. It's one of those little logical things that a friend says to you and you're like, of course, and then she started sharing some stuff going on in her life. And before we knew it, I was like, can I, can I just tell you, you are one of the most inspiring. And actually, I think she is the most inspiring woman I know. I said, wow. I think I've always called her a celebrity in waiting because I just think she's big. And I was telling her there's like this Bible verse that says, do not throw your pearls to swine, which is such mm -hmm. an extreme thing. But I was telling her like, you are such preciousness, like your pearls and I don't know where you're putting it now. And I don't mean to call anybody swine, but it just comes to mind. And your pearls should be reserved for those who are deserving. And like, you know, she said that's exactly what she needed to hear. And I don't know where it came from. <laughs> but I think right. feeling a willingness to be vulnerable and maybe sound stupid right. is part of this. Because you don't know why exactly you're saying it. You don't know <laughs> if it's the right thing. But if you feel that sort of heartfelt impulse to reach out to somebody or if somebody's name comes into your heart, follow it up and see what happens. I mean, it, look, it all sounds a little bit crazy, right? What if, what if anyone listening just did that for one week, one week, every time you had a thought, write it down, carry a little book or put it in your iPhone. Every time somebody's name came into your mind, reach out to them. It takes two seconds, but it's just yeah. so interesting to see where it might lead. Yes. So you heard it here. So that's, that's a little practice that you can do. And I'm also connecting it to what you said of how you, your family practices starting new things. Yeah. And I'm imagining that um, like sometimes what stops us is, is exactly what you said. It's like, oh, that's so stupid. Like, mm -hmm. or that's so silly. Or oh, I'm going to bother them. Or I don't want to, you know, like, oh, it's just an af afterthought. But uh, I guess I'm, I'm combining, like, if you have the practice of starting new things, you know, like, well, I'm not comfortable swimming long distances or I'm not comfortable or like your daughter, I'm not comfortable dancing, but mm -hmm. I'm going to go and try it out. There's a way that maybe the habit is getting comfortable in the discomfort or getting comfortable in the stretch that then when spirit calls on you or when you get that impulse of, hey, do that, yeah. you don't have so much resistance of, oh, yeah. that's going to be silly or that's going to be awkward. You already have the muscles to go, oh, let's try it out. Right. Let me just, you know, just check it in. It, it, it seems um, that's the invitation I get from you. I think it's that. And I'd add one more thing, which is getting really comfortable with failure. One of the things my husband has gotten in the practice of doing is when he sees my daughter, he'll ask her, what did you fail at today? And she's mm. like, keep that question. But I think it's brilliant because you're not used to in our society leaning into, you know what, today I failed at blank. We don't like to admit failure. We've learned to cover it up, put walls around it. And when we can take those down and openly say, yeah, I failed at this today. Or, wow, I learned I'm really not good at this. There's, there's a wonderful liberation 
with this because we no longer fear it. We no longer hold it as this brittle, fragile thing that we're terrified it's going to fall and break into a million pieces because it's no longer inextricably tied to our ego or our identity. It's okay to say I failed. I think, you know, I can look back at my career. Somebody was asking me recently, has it always been so smooth? Like your career looks great. I'm like, of course not. Of course not. There are moments where, well, here's the question. Did I fail or did I learn that I'm not good at something? It depends on how you look at it. And I don't want to be one of those overly optimistic people that paints everything as roses, but truly, especially in hindsight, there might be a moment where I felt like a failure. But when I walked out, I'm like, well, thank God I had that experience because I learned early on that kind of job isn't where I thrive. Or did I fail working for that person? Yeah, we did not have good chemistry. But again, thank God I had that experience because I realized I don't want to work for somebody like that. And that will make me more effective and more specific in choosing the roles for myself in the future. So yeah, that line between failure and learning, I think it's it's a little bit about perspective. Who holds you when you're down? I, I, I see you as do you, do you know the, the the image of Kuan Yin that she has a thousand? Kuan Yin is the Buddha of compassion, and there's an image of her having a thousand arms. And um, you you seem right now like you're like that Kuan Yin image of a thousand arms holding a thousand, you know, things and people and hearts. Who holds you? Really good friends. Like I said, Lynn, I have these a couple of friends who I feel like I would call in a heartbeat. We would drop everything and fly to each other. Lynn and Stacy. I mean, again, hashtag because of Hatch. <laughs> we met just some of the most incredible people. I think my husband and my daughter. My daughter's only 12, but in so many ways she holds me. And I don't know if that's because she's mature and I'm immature and we've somehow met in the middle or she's an old soul. But I, I also think we underestimate the young very often. I, I do learn from her. And there are moments like I'll come home. My husband's working late and she'll be like, OK, so I waited to have dinner with you at 730. I'm starving. Let's sit down and eat. And then she'll say, tell me about your day. I mean, she's not a normal kid in some ways, but when she right. asks me, you know, a CEO role is kind of lonely. You can't vent to anyone, you, right? You don't want to speak to your boss about certain issues. You don't want to speak to your subordinates about each other. That's not professional. You don't really have a lot of peers because any other CEO in another region, you know, doesn't really understand the circumstances right. of what you're dealing with. So in many ways, Lainey is the one I speak to about work more often than not. And she actually gives me outstanding advice. She, she really does. So I have to say, she probably holds me more than a child should hold her mother. But I do feel incredibly blessed to have some amazing friends who we know we would have each other's back through anything and my family. And, you know, at the end of the day, you realize you don't need that many hands. You just need a couple. And Lainey's godparents are the others. Um, I met her through a fluke. Her name is Vivian because we apparently, you know, 25 years ago look alike and people were being super nice to me at Procter and Gamble when, um, they saw me and I realized when they were nice to me, they tended to call me Vivian. So I'm like, there must be somebody in the company named Vivian who looks like me. And I found her and she just impressed the hell out of me. She was a marketing director, had two kids at the time, had stopped on a sabbatical to go found one of the fastest growing churches in America. Um, you know, as a Chinese American, like there's so many things about her. I just thought, wow, could I possibly one day be like her? And so I reached out and then we we just connected really well. And I think this is super important. This is a great practice was, which is reach out to people, you know, follow that sort of spirit led thing. And then don't be afraid to ask what's the worst that happened. Someone says, no, I remember we just had lunch. And then I said, would you mind having another lunch with me? Again, the worst thing that happens is she says no. She was like, okay. And I said, I, I, I don't know where this is going and I don't know exactly what I'm asking, but I would really like to talk to you again and I'll come prepared with questions. And that turned into a 25-year mentoring relationship. Her husband ended up mentoring me and my husband as well. They're the godparents of my daughter. So yeah, I, I think um, we have an incredible support system. And Lainey's old nanny is um, they're from Germany. So she calls them Omi and Opie. Omi and Opie have mm -hmm. just put us into their family and they're extremely warm, heartfelt people. We, we feel like we have the most diverse 
unusual group of people who love us and who we deeply love. It's so much more than enough. So wonderful. I mean, it's such an expression. We we started off this conversation, you saying like actually serving and giving to others is actually a service to your own life and how it creates more abundance. And I think this is a reflection of that, of, of trying out, listening to spirit and, and how it generates, generates perhaps for Vivian, having, having that connection with you and then you receiving that mentorship. So beautiful. And I think it's, um, you know, I don't let her forget the impact she's had in my life because I often reach out to her and I talk about her and she and, and a number of people who really like leaned in and, and taken me under their wing. I've done the same to other people. And I'll tell you, some things just really catch you off guard. There is a guy, Mike Shanquan. I think I was his associate brand manager mentor when he was an even younger associate brand manager. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, a, a long time ago, not 30, I'm not that old, but he uh, reached out recently during International Women's Day. And he said, I just want to say that you are one of the most, you know, whatever he ended up saying. And I'm like, I remember his name. I don't remember what I did for him. I don't think it was that impressive. So sometimes I think it's important for us to remember we might have a deeper impact than we think. And if right. there's some, the, mm. the things I think I did were so small, I don't remember them, but look at the impact it had on this man who's now writing this note on LinkedIn, <sighs> like blown away. It was just such an encouragement to me to like do the little things because they mean a lot to somebody else. Totally. I was just going to quote you because you said small acts can have great impact. Mm -hmm. And, and what I'm in this moment, it just hit me like, yeah, maybe your message or not, maybe your message, the message I'm getting from you is that you matter what you do and what you say matters, both positive and negatively, but also like you calling somebody and just saying, hello, Hey, I just thought of you right now matters. And you never know how that's going to land or like what, like Leah, um, like what you had, exactly what you had, it was exactly what she needed. Yeah. That we don't need to have a lot um, in order That's to true. give. Like maybe just a little thing. Or, you know, again, for those of you who have not read um, The Spare Room, it's like there's a story of, of this woman that she only had 43 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so if 43 minutes is all you have, it's enough. It's yeah. enough to change somebody's life. Um Again, when, when I was reading your book, it was it was sort of like this balance between, oh, I'm failing, right? Like I'm not living up to my social legacy. But then also, I think it's what you say, that humility of, well, hold on a second, but maybe even what do I have? Or how am I already, yeah. right? Yeah. How am I already? Um, and then we enter that door more humbly rather than what I, what I think I should be doing in some big, uh, way. It's just like, how are you already, you know, and then just more and more and, and kind of make it, make it that, that habit continuing. Yeah. I mean, ask yourself this question. If you're listening right now, do you believe you have power? Do you believe you can make a meaningful impact in someone else's life? Because I don't think we do ourselves or the world a service by playing small. I'm right. not saying we're all giants, and I'm not saying I esteem myself beyond what I should. But if I don't believe I'm anything, then what's the point? I have to believe there's a purpose here, and I have to believe I have something unique to offer in order to lean into those little moments. And, and that's maybe what faith is. It's the thing you can't see and the thing you're not certain of, but you say, okay, I'm going to do this mm. thing. So next time, if you're listening, somebody's name comes to your mind, call them, text them, see what happens. It's the tiniest step of faith because there's no downside. They don't respond. Who cares? Move on with your day. But if they do, how interesting mm. to see what might unfold. And then the next time something comes up, you might feel more willing or more interested or less afraid to lean into it. And instead of texting, maybe you call or maybe you drop by their house or maybe like, oh, gosh, this is so random. I used to live next to this guy at Procter & Gamble's name, name was Jason Duff, Duffy or Duff, Jason Duff. So he was single and my husband and I were newly married. And one night we were making hummus 
This is super random. And I love this hummus recipe. I made, I made like pounds and pounds of it. And I just had this random thought, I'm going to leave some for Jason Duff <laughs> and <laughs> made this Tupperware and I left it outside his door. I may or may not have left a note, but like, I think it was years later, he was introducing me on stage for something. He's like, this is the woman who cared for me when I was a single man. She used to make me hummus, used to, I think I did it once and left it at my doorstep. And I was like, gosh, that makes me sound so magnanimous when really <laughs> like eight pounds of hummus. And I was like, maybe Jason Duff would like something. Right. It's a little, little thing. But again, like, look at the impact. Yeah. It maybe seemed to have mattered more to him than I would have thought of. So following those generous or the kind impulses they're not going to go wrong. They may not go super right, right? You never know. Maybe it'll go unappreciated, but we don't, we don't commit acts of generosity because we're waiting for the gratitude. We do right. them because we think if they're the right thing to do. And we think they're going to, we have to believe that they're going to have a positive ripple somewhere in the space around us. Well, and you do mention this in your book. It's like by living inside your social legacy, inside your legacy, that there is a, a joy or there's a well-being that you are inside of it, that it in, in, it in itself is yeah. a gift to yourself. So by giving to others, by living, living your legacy, which again, it's not a big thing. It's like just that gesture. Um, you're going to feel better with it, with your life, with yourself. I think, I think it is liberating. I've used that word a couple of times and I think yeah. it allows you to live at peace with yourself and with your circumstance and with what you think you're capable of. You know, that I was just quoting this yesterday to somebody at work because she was getting super fired up about something that's not in her control. And I was like, you know, I've never been in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know they have this prayer, right? They say, give me the courage to change the things I can, the serenity to accept the things I can't and the wisdom to know the difference. I was like, I'm not, I'm not relating, you know, being at work with being drunk, but I actually think that's incredibly wise. So let's right. go change the things we can, accept the things we can't and let it go. I don't want to sound, and she was, she was kind of saying like, you sound like you don't care. I said, I, it's not that I don't care. I care deeply, but if I can't impact it, I'm wasting my precious mm -hmm. resource and passion on something that I can't impact. I'd rather direct it towards something I can change. And I guess the wisdom to know the difference is the key to how we effectively use our resources. Fantastic. Emily, where, where are you stretching now? Where, where's, where's your stretch right now? Oh gosh. I was just thinking about, so, so the other, I decided I want to do a half marathon again, which I haven't done in 15 years with a bunch of girlfriends. And the other day I went out for like a 25 minute run and almost died. It was four kilometers. <laughs> it was so bad. I'm like, how am I going to do a half marathon? So that's going to be one. <laughs> Two, right. I think the way that I'm stretching is to hold things loosely because like I said, I grew up very type A and I wanted to be a super achiever. I wanted to be the best at everything. I always wanted to strive for more and more and more. Now, for instance, with the spare room book, I'm holding it really loosely. Like my, my publisher has been absolutely wonderful, but I haven't heard from them in the last few weeks. And instead of getting upset or getting worried or kind of like, have they dropped me or do they not care anymore? Have they moved on to another new project? which probably all of those things are true. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hold it loosely because if they have something that comes up, they'll let me know. And if not, you know, this book will go on its own journey. And I don't have right. a deep definition of success. I don't have that C-A-R action plan for the book because it is a passion project and it's, it's a personal sort of gift to whoever can benefit from it. I have to just kind of hold it, like cherish it, but hold it loosely. And I think that's a stretch for me because I'm used to holding things tightly and saying, here's what this is and here's where it's going to go and here's what it's going to do next. Right. And now I have to say, I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, people ask, will it be translated in Chinese? Because I live in China. I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Other people will ask, would you do workshops on this? I've been asked, uh, asked that quite a lot. I'm thinking, sure, but I'm not chasing it down like the last bus of the night. I used to chase everything down and be like, yeah, people want this. I'm going to go do this. By this date, I'm going to have this done. And for some things you just say, you know what, at the right time, I will personally be creatively motivated to go build that workshop. And the right group will come along who says, I would like that now. And it'll all kind of come together. And I think for now, I'm just okay with letting it be. But that's that's definitely new muscle for me. I'm, I'm, I'm 
smiling for our listeners can't see me, but I'm smiling because I'm imagining it's like until you hear spirit pull you to do the workshop, I would imagine. <laughs> would that be, would yeah, that's like what that. Lynn was encouraging me about when we talked on the phone right. this morning. I was like, yeah, that's exactly probably the way I should have thought about it. Yeah. Right. So, so things come together in a moment. You know, my daughter asked me recently, like, what does, you say God talk to you. What does that mean? I was like, no, honey, there's no booming voice from heaven, like in the movies. But I think, I think spirit will speak to you through circumstances, through things that happen in a certain um, sequence that you're like, well, let's do the math. What are the chances that particular string of things would have happened? Probably not so much. I think there's something behind that. There's a purpose, there's an intention. And am I going to lean into it and see what happens? Beautiful. Emily, thank you so much. It truly has been an honor to have this conversation with you and be touched by both your trust and your courage to listen to what you need to move into. Well, and the humility and the vulnerability, so many adjectives, but it's so, so, such a journey, right, to listen, to, to uh, trust, to move in, but also be determined to, to be faithful to that. I, I leave inspired and also emboldened of, okay, um, if our listeners, you know, I'm curious what, what our listeners are taking away. I'm taking away, like, listen, just listen and, and listen to, to the world. How is the world speaking to me? What is this serendipity? What, what, what is that moment that I go, wow, that's, you know, stands out. But then pay attention that where maybe I'm being called. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. And thank you. It was very energizing to speak to you at the end of my day as well. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Wonderful. So how how should our listeners reach out to you or contact you? They can find me at the website, which is social-legacy.com. You can leave your name and we can get in touch via email. Um, you can find me on all the socials at The Spare Room Book. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn, which is where I kind of started my professional blogging. It's just Emily Chang 8621. Beautiful. And yes, do not miss out on the book. Really, it's I, I love when you said, well, is it a business book? Is it a self-help book? Is it an inspirational book? And it's all of it. It's all of it. It definitely uh, it's a promise to enrich your life. Oh, thank you so much. You can buy it anywhere. Digital yeah print format. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'd love to hear from you about it. I'm totally biased to the audiobook. Your voice and the way you read it and you tell the stories is amazing. So thank you again, Emily. Thank you. <laughs> and until next time, be curious, be inspired, and simplify the way. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.